Good morning, everybody. Everybody hear me? Happy Thanksgiving. Uh, I'm glad everybody's here. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Ryan Roper. Uh, it's the second time I've up, uh, been up here teaching Sunday school. And uh, no, that's not a typo on the screens. We're actually going to be talking about UFOs today. I was going to talk about Ecclesiastes, and I had two weeks to do it. Uh, but with the mission report, we all got truncated down. Uh, and so I'm like, I'm not covering that book in one week. That's kind of foolish. So no joke, we're going to do something a little different. Um, I sold this to Dave McGuire going, hey, man, this is kind of what I'm thinking about, half joking, like, ha, ha, ha. And he goes, dude, I, uh, UFOs, I love it. Okay, so uh, we'll do that. Uh, I'm going to read to start with uh, on your outlines. It says we're going to start, start in Psalm 148. Uh, and we are going to start in Psalm 148. So I'm going to read that, and then we're going to pray. And then we're going to dive in to something a little unusual. Psalm 148, praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him in the heights, praise him all his angels, praise him all his hosts, praise him sun and moon, praise him all you shining stars, praise him you highest heavens and you waters above the heavens, let them praise the name of the Lord for he has commanded and they were created and he established them forever and ever, he gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, you great sea creatures in all depths, fire and hail, snow and mist, stormy wind, fulfilling his word. Mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, beasts and all livestock, creeping things and flying birds, kings of the earth and all peoples, princes and all rulers of the earth, young men and maidens together, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty is above earth and heaven. He has raised up a horn for his people. Praise for all his saints. For the people of Israel who are near to him, praise the Lord. Father in heaven, we want to praise you and praise the Lord from the heavens. For praise him, all you shining stars in the highest heavens, the waters above the heavens. Father, you created, you commanded, they were created and established forever and ever. You gave a decree and it shall not pass away. Please be with us as uh, we look at something odd that our culture is experiencing and find out how we ought to look at it through the lens of your word. And uh, please uh, give us wisdom that we may uh, see and uh, follow what your word has to tell us. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, hey, why are we talking about this? And uh, you can do it. All right, so aliens in Sunday school. Why are we doing this thing? Well, it's kind of cool. This is Vegas, right? And the, whoops, the minor league ball team in this town used to be called the Las Vegas Area 51s with the baseball stitches on the alien heads. So it's kind of a cool town for it. Uh, rural Nevada has a lot of experience of uh, quote unquote alien contact. And so we're gonna talk about what exactly that means, why that happens and uh, kind of what we ought to think about it. I have a brief history with this. When I was a kid, I was a huge sci-fi nerd, huge sci-fi nerd. My dad would watch Star Trek, I would watch it with him. And so my concept of what this was, was just like Star Trek, just an advanced technological civilization uh, that's better than us uh, and just has gotten more stuff and figured more things out faster than we had. Uh, and so all the alien stuff throughout the 1990s, and I'll have some stuff on that in a second, uh, I was just into that. That was just the coolest thing. And so what I thought was, you know, these things are going to come down and we're going to get this technology and it's going to be great. 
A lot of people think that, and you're going to see that in a bit. Uh, but what is it really? Um, and so my dad, being a wise father that he is, went, hey, this is unhealthy. We don't need to be fascinated with this kind of a thing. And so he kind of got me into looking at this from a Christian perspective. One of the authors he had me uh, read was a man by the name of Dr. Hugh Ross. You're going to meet him in a second. And uh, Hugh Ross is a Christian astrophysicist who actually came to our church, gave a talk on this. Uh, and I was, I don't know, 10, 11 at the time. Uh, I didn't find that compelling because he was talking about it from the astrophysicist's perspective, like way up here. And his thesis was this can't be because it's not physical. Like physics doesn't allow for this stuff to happen. And I went, all right, well, okay, that's fine. I eventually reconnected with uh, Dr. Ross's ministry through another ministry um, called Stand to Reason. The ladies read uh, Greg Kokel's book. He runs Stand to Reason over the summer. Uh, and it kind of formed into these ideas that I'm about to present to you uh, today. Let me see if this actually works. Sweet, it works. All right, so what happened? Um, so there's been a couple of several different crazes of UFOs over the last 50 to 75 years. The most recent started in 2017. This lady was one of the authors of a New York Times article. There's about three or four authors. She was one of the main catalysts, although she didn't necessarily get the byline. Her name is Leslie Keene. She had been doing research into aliens for a long time, UFOs, now we're calling them UAPs or Unidentified Aerial Phenomena because we had to rebrand them. Um, but this lady had been doing research all throughout kind of the 70s, 80s, and 90s and found out a couple of things. One, uh, the Navy had videotaped an object that is now called the Tic Tac. And so you kind of see that thing in the middle of the screen there. That's a targeting pod image from an F-18. That little black dot is a, uh, an infrared image of something. And that something was going about 16,000 miles an hour. And no, I didn't misplace the comma, 16,000 miles an hour. Uh, they were able to see it uh, with the targeting pod. They were able to see it a little bit with the radar, but none of these people ever saw that with their eyes. That'll be important in a second. So Keene discovered that this was a thing and that the Navy had this and was covering it up because anything coming off that airplane is at the baseline, it's classified secret. Uh, and so they couldn't actually release that stuff and they're pretty tight-lipped, like we don't know what this is, this could be a Chinese piece of technology. Also, she found out that Senator Harry Reid, uh, late senior senator from Nevada, had, been, uh, had an office in the Pentagon starting about 2014, 2016 timeframe to find out things like this and kind of look into that and go, gee, what is that? And oh, by the way, as a brief aside to kind of avoid any questions on uh, down the line, yes, I'm a fighter pilot. No, I have never seen anything like this. Uh, and no, I'm not plugged in with this part of the Pentagon. So if there's any questions about like, hey, have you done any top secret stuff? The answer is no, I've not seen any of this stuff. Thank God. <laughs> we can talk later. Anyhow, so yeah, uh, so Keen uh, blew the door pretty much wide open, and then uh, so it led to a lot of people going, hey, what is that? That, right? What is that? Why is that thing moving the way it is? As we're going to talk a little bit later, the thing would go from about 16,000 miles an hour instantaneously to zero. It would go from the surface of the water up to like 60,000 feet instantaneously, and then go under the water, and then back up, doing some crazy things that you would think that must be an alien spaceship. What in the world is that? 
Uh, and so this thing is just kind of the tip of the iceberg. This goes back a long way in history. So this is just the most recent craze. The first major modern craze um, started, for America anyway, started about 1947. The guy on the left apparent there, his name is Kenneth Arnold. This guy was a private pilot and a businessman flying from point A to point B, doing some business in his, uh, his normal job. When he saw a bunch of things, you, if you kind of see there, that's a, his drawing of what he thinks he saw. It looked like a little, he called it a flying saucer. And that's how that term kind of became, uh, you know, in our public consciousness, flying saucers. He saw that thing, and then he kind of figured out how fast they were going. He had a stopwatch, and he did some math. When he landed, he figured out that that thing was probably going about 1,600 miles an hour, which was just blazingly fast for something in 1947 when the fastest we could maybe conceive of was going the speed of sound roughly 700 miles an hour, depending on your altitude, but, you know, whatever. Then you got the image on the right up there, which is Roswell. That thing just became an utter craze where the weather balloon, the alien spacecraft, whatever, confusing news reports came out. Uh, and so that's kind of what really kicked it off in the 1940s and the 1950s. You had a lot of sci-fi coming out with images exactly like that kind of thing right there. And so that sort of became part of the public consciousness for a little while, almost a flash in the pan, then it kind of faded down. Um, and it just kind of retreated back into the sci-fi kind of genre and with kind of Star Trek in the 60s and that kind of a deal. We had another major craze as it erupted kind of in the 1990s. What happened here? Well, um, there were a lot of reports of UFOs and stuff in the 60s, 70s, and 80s, and it sort of came to a head in the 1990s. You had it exploded in a popular culture with those kind of, uh, you had the X-Files, the TV shows, um, called sightings and dark skies and that kind of a thing, if anybody remembers those. I see Dave shaking his head, that totally makes sense. Uh, movies like Independence Day and Men in Black, like that stuff comes from somewhere, right? That doesn't just come from a writer's imagination, that came from popular culture and the, the little seething underbelly and underground of UFOs kind of exploded into the, into the public eye yet again. Why? Well, things like this, you had that kind of a stuff happening in the Midwest and in mostly in the England. Those are crop circles. And so the stuff would appear um, sort of inexplicably out of nowhere, uh, overnight almost, where you have a normal farm field with wheat or grain or corn or whatever, and then it had something weird like that. A lot of these turned out to be hoaxes. So there were two guys in England that figured out how to do that uh, what it would look like from the bird's eye view, and they had a way of doing it. And some of them, they couldn't explain with the same means. And so everyone just kind of wondered, gee, what's going on? Why is this happening? All throughout also the 80s and 90s, you had this overnight radio program that was recorded and or broadcast from Pahrump, no joke. Anybody remember Art Bell? Yeah, who remembers Art Bell? Uh, so when I couldn't sleep during high school, I'd turn the AM radio on that was at the clock, uh, on my clock radio, and who's on in the middle of the night is Art Bell. And he's got s reports of aliens and sightings and all sorts of weird stuff, and all that's kind of bubbling up and explodes back into the public consciousness in the 1990s based on some of those little catalysts. And so that's kind of what, th there are some major crazes that, w and we're just in the middle of the most recent, uh, but it goes back even further than that. Oh, by the way, yes, in the 1990s, this is 1997. Anybody remember this guy? This is Marshall Applewhite. 
Uh, he was the leader of the Heaven's Gate cult, who in 1997, when the Hale-Bopp comet showed up, convinced him and his followers to kill themselves in a rented mansion in Los Angeles because that was the way to free their bodies or their souls from their bodies, and the souls would be harvested up onto the spaceship hiding behind Hale-Bopp to take them off to some other place because the Earth was about to get raised, right? So things like that also kind of perpetuated it into America's conscience in the 90s, so it's about 19, 1997 is when that happened. This goes all the way back into things like this uh, set of sightings, but you didn't know about this one. 1896, 1897, if you look at uh, newspaper reports of the time, you see the airships, and they kind of looked like that. They were described as cigar-shaped um, kind of ships that would fly, and they were clocked at, not clocked necessarily, but actually with a stop, uh, stopwatch. Um, people worked out mathematically that those things were going about 100 to 150 miles an hour. All that speed stuff will be relevant in a bit. Uh, but um, some of these things were um, unexplained type sightings. Some of them were hoaxes, and some of the newspaper articles talking about this were mocking the other ones. Uh, but you do see that kind of explode in about 1896, 1897. So, you know, what really is going on here? We'll get to Dr. Greer in a second. So now we've kind of talked about a little bit of the history and the background, why this is in the public consciousness, so really what is going on here, and this is sort of the bulk of why we need to talk about it and some things to be aware of. So uh, what I talked to you about uh, previously, there's Dr. Hugh Ross. There's uh, two guys that I'm going to cite. One is Dr. Hugh Ross and one is Dr. Ray Boucher, and I'll have uh, pictures of them in a second. Um, and their research is going to um, kind of line up with a lot of the researchers looking into this. They will say about 95 to 99% of these UFOs, unidentified flying objects, or now unidentified aerial phenomena, are really explainable. Ross himself is an astrophysicist and an astronomer. And so when somebody says, this is what I saw at this date and time at this place, he goes, well, I'm an astronomer. What you saw looking at the place you were looking at in the sky really was this natural phenomenon. Some of those things are actually stars, shooting stars, things in orbit like the space station. If you've ever seen that on a really dark night, you can actually see this thing arcing across the sky and it will appear across an arc and then it will disappear because of the way the atmosphere works. And some people go, oh my goodness, that's a flying saucer. Actually, it's a space station. So it's stuff like that, it's actually explainable. Other things that are, uh, are actual legitimate aircraft, um, uh, particularly around test sites like Edwards Air Force Base, some of those things just appear out of nowhere and people don't know what they are and they're, they're out in the middle of the desert and they get freaked out. It's explainable. Um, most of those things we know are, are, are kind of fit into that category. Some are just hoaxes. Um, as you can imagine, these things are kind of fun to play with. And so a lot of people, particularly now, put a lot of little lights on drones fly these things in places where they know people are looking for aliens and have the lights turning on and off and kind of a thing, and then they go, oh my goodness, look at that. And that is what explains about 95 to 99% of these things, and I can take the stage and, and walk away right now, right? <laughs> Not quite. So about 1 to 5% of these things, these reports, um, are what Dr. Ross is going to call residual UFOs. So over the course of the last 50 to 75 years, even though it's only 1%, and even though it's only a really small percent of the population that's seeing these things, that'll be important in a second, I keep promising things, I promise I'll deliver. Uh, even though it's a very small portion of the population that's seeing these things, there are still thousands of these reports 
that we go, gee, what in the world is that? That's kind of inexplicable. And so, all right, what are we actually seeing? Some of these things defy physics. And that's the main thing that we're going to put into ca in that category of the Navy Tic Tac. We're seeing something. It is doing something that looks like it shouldn't be able to do that, but we see it. Uh, as another brief aside, those things, when we see that and photograph that, um, you can see that with certain things, but not others. So if it's an airplane that sees it, you'll get it maybe on an infrared sensor, maybe the radar, but not with the pilot's eyes. Or the pilot's eyes will see it, but the sensors will not. Usually, if it's a physical object, you'll see it on the radar if it's moving. I'll talk about radar theory in a bit, but don't worry about that. Um, if it's moving, you'll probably see it on the radar. Uh, if it's emitting heat, you'll probably see it on an infrared sensor, and if it's an actual object that you can see, you can probably see it in your eyes, and all those things kind of line up. These don't, so it's a little weird what's going on. Other kinds of things what you're seeing is uh, people report communication with these alien beings. Um, once you rule out things like hallucinations and dreams and people that are on hallucinogenic drugs, uh, you get uh, that back to that little 1% that you're like, gee, that's a little weird. Um, they're reporting communications with what they, they claim to be alien beings. Uh, two of the most strange are alleged abductions, uh, people that have claimed to be, have been abducted by aliens, uh, and those are frightening to read those kinds of accounts. Um, I'm going to save that for later to see kind of how that uh, people experience those, but don't worry about that in a second. I'm going to talk about them in a bit. Also, physical effects on the environment. So we saw those crop circles there. There's other things where people report that they saw the thing flying. It took a 90-degree turn towards the ground and hit the ground and disappeared. There's no debris. They don't ever see any debris, but they do see physical effects on the ground. And it's not a giant crater, because let me just tell you, I've dropped a 2,000-pound bomb before, one that actually went boom, and one that was just a piece of concrete. The piece of concrete, when it hit the ground, it was going about 1,000 feet per second and made a huge crater, big. The explosive made a bigger crater still. This thing that's moving 13,000 miles an hour or 16,000 miles an hour hits the ground and it makes a small impression about an inch deep. Weird, right? That's not normal. Uh, and so there's some things like that where we kind of catalog these things that, that kind of fall into the inexplicable category. And so how do we actually explain uh, these things? So let's take a look at some of the data if we're looking at the trend data for what we're actually seeing, um, let's look at the speed of these objects. Like I said, back in the 1800s, the people that see these things perceive these things going on at about 150 to 100 to 150 miles an hour. In the 50s, 40s and 50s, the people that are seeing these things see these things going at about 1,000 miles an hour, 1,000 to 1,500 miles an hour. Today, when people see these things, they report them uh, going at about uh, 10,000 to 15,000-ish miles an hour. And so what we can see is, if you're looking at that across uh, the spectrum, is they always appear just a little bit faster than we as human beings can conceive they go. That's important, okay? Also, uh, if you're looking at how these things maneuver, they are defying physics. Let me just tell you, because I, I used to fly jet planes for a living, if I take my airplane and I do a 90 degree turn very quickly, that's gonna have a physical effect on my jet and a physical effect on me. I can do about nine Gs for a little bit. What that's gonna do to my head, all the blood's gonna drain out of my head into my feet and I'm gonna lose consciousness if I maintain that too long. Also, if I turn a little too fast, a little too much G, I'm gonna bend my airplane. 
these things do these 90 degree turns at 13 to 16,000 miles an hour and are unaffected, right? So there's something else a little going on here that's not, that lends, that makes us think that this is not a physical object. If it were a physical object, that thing would obey the law of physics, and if it makes a 90-degree turn at 13,000 miles an hour, it's going to disintegrate, I guarantee you, and it's not. Also, contact with the, uh, the other, uh, these people report contact with the other beings. What's the data say? Well, if we go back in the past, people that reported uh, sightings of these things in the early uh, 1900s, these beings would tell the people, I'm from the moon. I'm from the dark side of the moon. You can't see us from a telescope because we're on the back side of the moon. Well, then we find out there's nothing on the backside of the moon. Then, at that point, the story changes. It's, well, I'm from Venus, is what these people who are reporting these things are, are saying. Okay, then we find out there's no way anybody can live on Venus, and there's no life on Venus, and then the story changes to now I'm from Mars. And now we know, proof positive, there's no life on Mars, or at least no civilization on Mars. And now the story is, okay, well, we're from a distant galaxy, and we've got advanced technology that we're, that we're you know, using to come to your planet. The story is changing as history's going forward. And so just like the speed is just a little bit faster than we can uh, conceive of actually going, the story changes as well when people report contact with these, uh, these aliens. And also, who gets contacted? The people that report contact with UFOs, uh, either seeing these things do weird stuff, or actual contact with people or things purporting to be alien beings are high correlation involved with either the new age or the occult or both. Let that think, sink in for a second. And oh, by the way, let me go back for a second for the people experiencing these contacts. That method of contact and the things they are experiencing, particularly the abductions, they follow the exact same pattern as what happens to people that contact spirits through the new age and through the occult. The exact same things. What it happens is they kind of get involved in it, they see something, they're fascinated, they get a little deeper involved and they get contacted by a thing and the thing tells them, we're here to help you, I'm here to take care of you, I love you, and then it turns into violence. And these people that have contact with aliens experience the exact same thing. They're kind of fascinated, things are kind of cool, and then it turns into an abduction story where people are like violated six different ways, right? The exact same thing happens that people perceive when they're involved in New Age spiritism and occultism. So therefore, um, what are we dealing with? Um, I'm gonna hit that payoff in a second. Also, there's a couple other things. I'm gonna get to Dr. Greer. This, uh, so don't believe my, don't take my word for it. This is one of the leading guys that's trying to contact UFOs. His name is Dr. Stephen Greer. Greer uh, is an MD, he's a medical doctor, uh, but he founded this thing called the Center for the Study of Extraterrestrial Intelligence, CSETI, not the Search for Extraterrestrial Intelligence, the whole radio telescope thing. This guy actually is trying to teach people how to contact aliens. And when he's teaching them how to contact aliens, just like I talked about, where it's a high correlation between occultism and UFO sightings, how do you think this guy's teaching people how to contact aliens? He's not telling them how to build radios in their garages. No joke, this dude is telling them, and I'll kind of read some of the things. This is, that's from his website, so if you, uh, you can go to the website. I don't recommend it, because then you'll start getting weird ads, so just, you know, just say no. <laughs> uh, yeah, just, it's trouble you don't want. Um, mantra meditation, remote viewing techniques, Hindu-like ceremonies, altered states of consciousness, 
And so he is teaching them occultic and or New Age-like practices that are no kidding like Hindu ceremonies in circles uh, while they're trying to vector in, if you read some of that text up there, they're trying to vector in UFOs to come and contact them. Their baseline assumption is that these things are benevolent beings come to give us their advanced technology and their enlightened, um, their enlightened philosophy. And so we're not using technology, we're not ET phone home, none of that kind of a thing. We're actually, uh, no kidding, trying to reach out and cross the plane to talk to those guys. All right, so um, for the, those that actually make contact, what happens to them? I kind of alluded this to the, uh, in the uh, about the, the experience of those in the New Age and the experience of those who contact UFOs. There's a case study. Uh, this is Dr. Boucher. He kind of reports this. Uh, I'll get to that in a minute. Uh, Boucher reports this, is that um, in the 1970s, there are five guys that, were, um, that went to the University of Indiana. They're all drug and alcohol-free. Two were Vietnam combat veterans. Uh, they decided to sit together and figure out ways to contact UFOs using like practices that, um, that Greer teaches. And this is in the 70s. All of them witnessed UFOs kind of cavorting about in the midnight sky. One of them claimed that he stood within 10 feet of lights hovering in midair. Uh, and then soon the experiences became violent. One of the men was terrorized in his home by furious pounding on the walls, violent shakings of his bed, not long afterwards was struck hard in the face by an unseen something. Uh, one of them began after this sleeping with the lights on with a gun under his pillow. All five of these guys decided to abandon their uh, experiments. One of them invested in weapons and joined a neo-pagan gr uh, group that offered animal sacrifices to Odin. One of them repented, believed the gospel, and became a Christian. One of them committed suicide, and the remaining two dropped out of college and became drifters about a month before they graduated University of Indiana. Okay? So the people that are involved in this kind of a thing are have their lives just utterly wrecked and destroyed. So that's kind of what happens. Other kind of things, when they get messages, there's, and you can kind of read this later, um, they get uh, pieces of technology like, that they obsess over that cannot work, um, perpetual motion machines, that kind of a thing. Um, people perceive promises from these aliens of salvation with enlightened philosophy and technology. One of the things that's also totally common is an open denial of the deity of Jesus Christ. They'll either say there is no God and it's just material, a materialistic universe, or they'll say, yeah, Jesus existed, but he was just an enlightened guy. He just believed in our philosophy, that kind of a thing. They totally deny the Trinity and they deny uh, Jesus Christ. Um, real quick on government cover-ups, because this is cloaked in a lot of confusion and conspiracy theories, particularly if you're going to listen to Art Bell, you kind of have the, the thing in the back of your mind, well, gee, my, my, that sounds plausible. Well, um, were there cover-ups? Yeah, absolutely there were cover-ups. So the image on the left is a U-2 spy plane. The image on the right is the SR-71. The 60s, these were the pinnacle of technology. Your average airplane in uh, airliner would fly at about 30,000 feet, somewhere between 15 and 30,000 feet. These things would fly 60 to 70 and sometimes 80,000 feet. So imagine if you've seen a sun glint at about that high and seeing something going really fast, particularly the thing on the right. So they go report this to the Air Force, and what's the Air Force going to do? Oh, can't talk about this. And so they tell them some silly story, like, oh, that's an icicle at uh, 60,000 feet or a temperature inversion. And it sounds like a cover-up because it is. They're giving them a silly story that people kind of didn't believe. And if you're into believing conspiracy theories and if you think the government's going to cover some stuff up 
and they're actually covering some stuff up, your imagination's going to run away with you, and now there's aliens. That kind of makes sense? So, hey, w has the government been covering up, covering up stuff? Absolutely, because we know this for a fact. Um, but, you know, are they covering up aliens? Not really. Oh, this thing, too. Um, imagine seeing that for the first time. What are you going to think? You're going to think spaceship, okay? Um, this is Dr. Ross on the left. Uh, Dr. Boucher is on the right. Um, their basic uh, thing is to explain all of this, what are we really dealing with? Demons, okay? Why do we say that? Well, they're going to say that those things that people are seeing are real, but they're not physical. If they were physical, if they're going that fast, they're going to produce a sonic boom. You don't produce a boom as you go through the sound barrier. There's a shockwave that you drag behind you for as long as you're going supersonic. We don't have that, okay? There would be heat coming off that thing because heat friction uh, when moving that fast is going to be insane. There isn't. We cannot make those 90-degree right turns at 13,000 miles an hour. The thing would disintegrate. So this thing is not... Uh, observing the laws of physics, therefore it is real, people are seeing something, it is not physical. There's also um, a deception that's coming on here. Remember this thing about the speed, it keeps getting faster as our technology goes uh, faster, and we can conceive of things going a little faster, right? And so all the story keeps changing as the history moves forward because we figure out, oh, there's no life on the moon, there's no life on Mars, there's no life on Venus. The story keeps changing. These things are deceiving the people and lying to the people they're talking to, right? And so this is actually not aliens. This is occultism. This is New Age spiritualism in different clothes. And why would we be surprised if our enemy is lying to people and trying to destroy their lives because this is exactly the thing that happens to people who get involved in that kind of a thing. Why does our culture find this so uh, compelling? Let's take a look at Romans 1, verses 19 through 25, says this, For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. For the invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived since the creation of the world and the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to become wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Our culture will perceive these things as one of two ways. Either the true believers think thinking these things are actually aliens that are going to give us their enlightened technology and philosophy, or the atheists and the naturalists that are going to think, well, these things are going to give us this technology, and then that will save us, right? It's the same kind of a thing that we see everywhere in our culture, which is, People hate God because they are not of God. You know, my sheep know my voice is what Jesus says. And he says to the Pharisees, you don't hear me because you are not one of mine. And so what they're going to come up with exactly what Romans 1 tells us they're going to come up with. Anything to explain what they're seeing other than the God of the Bible. That's why our culture finds this so compelling because they need something to explain. They know there's a God, but they hate him, and they need something to explain the things that they're seeing, something to give people meaning, but they're not going to latch onto the God of the Bible. And what are they going to come up with? They're going to come up with this. So what should we as Christians now think of this kind of a phenomenon? 
Well, so what about these things that are real but not physical? Well, our doctrine allows for that. Westminster Confession, chapter 2, paragraph 1, says this, There is but one only living and true God who is infinite in being, perfection, a most pure spirit, invisible, without body, parts, or passions, immutable, immense, eternal, incomprehensible, almighty, most wise, most holy, most free, most absolute, working all things to the counsel of his own immutable and most righteous will for his own glory, most loving, gracious, merciful, long-suffering, abundant in goodness, truth, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin, the rewarder of them that diligently seek him and withal most just and terrible in his judgments, hating all sin, and who will by no means clear the guilty. To back up to the beginning, he is most pure spirit, invisible, without body parts or passions. And so, why is it such a stretch for us Christians to believe that there is something real, God, but not physical? You can expect that the devil will behave the exact same way. He is real, but he is not physical. Scripture also records things that are non-physical, that are spiritual, but that have a physical effect in the world. Exodus chapter 12, the Lord sends the destroyer to, to destroy Egypt's firstborn directly. 2 Samuel 24, when David takes the census, the angel comes and works destruction, right? It's the angel that does this. This is something spiritual having a physical effect in the world, something that's real but not actually physical that you can touch. 2 Kings chapter 6, Elisha tells his servant, as they're being pursued by the, by the Syrians, he asks for his servant's eyes to be opened, and he sees the chariots of fire around him. He also, when the Syrians attack him, he prays, and he asks God to strike the Syrians with blindness, and he does. In Daniel chapter 8, Daniel, after seeing a vision from God and seeing revelation directly from God, is sick for days. And so when we, mortal man, have interactions with the non-physical world, it has a physical effect, and sometimes it's dramatic. Satan also can affect the physical wor uh, world, and we see in Scripture that when he does, he creates misery. Job chapters 1 and 2, he creates disaster for Job, takes away his stuff, destroys his family, and strickens his body with disease. Mark chapter 9, the demon who's possessing the boy when Jesus comes down after the transfiguration throws the boy into the fire. In Luke chapter 8, legion is cast out of a man and into the pigs, and the pigs are run into the, uh, the sea and are drowned. So we're warned also against observing these pagan practices. Leviticus 20, chapter 27 says specifically this, a man or a woman who is a medium or a necromancer, someone who's trying to contact the opposite, uh, contract the other side, as it were, shall surely be put to death. They shall be stoned with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. And then in Deuteronomy chapter 29, verses 29, Moses acknowledges there are secret things. He says, the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed, that's what God has given to us in his word, belong to us and to our children forever that, may, that we may do all the words of his law. What about our deceptions? If we see deceptions, 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 to through 3 tell us, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. So remember, these things, when people say, hey, alien, is there a God? And they go, nope, and oh, by the way, Jesus isn't God, right? 
Scripture tells us precisely what's going on. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. This is not actually from God. Uh, Conspiracy theories, hey, what are we supposed to think about that? Well, Isaiah has something to say about that, where he says, do not call conspiracy what this people calls conspiracy, but then he tells Isaiah to let him, God, be your fear and let him be your dread, right? This is what we're supposed to think about this, that let we are going to trust God for him to be our provision and to last us through hard times. And oh, by the way, um, if you're considering these things, and if you're reading a lot of this stuff, because I've been reading a lot of weird stuff over the last couple of weeks getting ready for this, and like, gee, what do I say to a Sunday school class and what do I not say? Um, a lot of this is like, well, gee, that sounds awfully plausible. I'm a little confused about this. This guy saw this thing, and there's this document from the government that has the stamp on it that says that, and oh dear, what am I supposed to think about this? And maybe that's plausible, and ah, but I can't be, and there's a lot of confusion, right? What does the Bible say about that? In 1 Corinthians 14.33, when Paul is telling the Corinthian church to stop doing what they are doing, put things in order, what is his direction? In verses 31 and 32, for you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged and the spirits of prophets are subject to prophets for God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. So all this confusion that I'm experiencing, it's like, well, of course, that's what's going on here. We're trying to be confused. Uh, This is um, demonic activity that's coming into the world by other, with other clothes on, that's trying to, uh, destroy the unbeliever and confuse the believer. So what are we supposed to do or take from this? Well, God has his uh, purposes. He is sovereign even over the weird stuff. Uh, And uh, I'll skip the Westminster Confession reference, but I'd uh, recommend you read chapter five, uh, paragraph one, where it talks about God's sovereignty and his use of all these means to affect his will. Is this stuff a surprise to God? No, even if it's the Navy Tic Tac moving around where we go, gee, what's going on with that? It's not something we need to be fretting over. God is sovereign. Also, you might actually have encounters with people that have come out of this. And if you hear a weird story, this is Vegas after all, don't be surprised. What's happening to this person? Romans 1 says that the wrath of God is revealed against that person who's an unbeliever. It's suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. So why would we be surprised if some weird stuff is happening to those people? if their lives are totally wrecked by these weird and occultic practices that they're into. If they come out of that and they repent and they believe in Christ, then we need to be able to hear that and not go, yeah, 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 be quiet. At least listen to the story and at least give them the gospel. Be ready to hear something that's a little odd if, in fact, that's what you're hearing. Also, in the midst of all this confusion for the believer and the unbeliever, how can you have peace? Remember I talked about in 1 Corinthians 14. Then we go into 1 Corinthians 15. Which, what does Paul say at the very beginning of that chapter? Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel that I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you've believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And so where can we have peace? And as Paul is making that argument, where does it lead? That the gospel is of first importance, of first priority, uh, other translations say. And so as uh, where do we point the pagan, where do we point the unbeliever, and where do we as the believer hang our hats? It's in the gospel of Jesus Christ, because you can see a tic-tac doing some weird stuff and be confused, 
but you know that Jesus Christ has been raised because if he has not been raised, then you are dead in your sin and you are still uh, without hope and we are most to be pitied. Lastly, and uh, then I'll kind of open up for questions in like the few minutes I left, everybody. Um, look at what the pagan and the unbeliever is going to go to to have a supernatural experience. And don't just beat your chest and say, gee, I'm not like this Pharisee over here or this tax collector over here. But, you know, there but before the grace of God go some of us. Um, look what they're willing to do to have an experience with the supernatural. And God himself has provided us ordinary means of preaching of the word and of sacrament to interface with the creator of the universe. Let that sink in for a second. We don't have to do this kind of a thing. And we can have peace, and we have God himself has given us his word uh, in order to interface with him. So we do not have to do that weird stuff. I'll close with this. Um, James chapter 5, is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. And so we're going to kind of end with what should we do about this? Have a biblical lens. Do we have to get involved in this weird stuff to see these things or explain these things? No. God has given us the ordinary means of grace, particularly his word. And if the unbeliever is willing to do that weird stuff and we don't wash ourselves in this, then we need to make a change in our lives as well. So with that, I'll kind of open up for questions. Uh, and I've left a good uh, minute and a half for something that is uh, a pretty weighty topic. Uh, so what can you have? Oh, by the way, uh, please wait for the mic because of the, uh, the internet audience. Go, Ken. I can hear you, but I can't. Yeah, um, that came up in a lot of the literature I read. They're like, yeah, here's UFOs in the Bible. It's in Ezekiel. I don't take that seriously per se. Here's why. Um, what is he seeing? He is seeing either uh, an angelic being as God is revealing it to him and how he's perceiving it. Um, so that's what it is. Like, what is it really? And if we want to put that in another language, then fine. But he, God is showing that to him for a particular purpose, for his revelation. Uh, as he is about to prophesy, right? And where does he see that thing? He sees it in the temple. And the temple, God is revealing to him in the temple that there's pagan worship going on in the temple in several different places. And then he sees the glory of the Lord depart from the temple. And so that's the purpose for which he sees those things. The Bible doesn't say anything about this is an unidentified flying object that we need to treat with any kind of, you know, that's an alien. But that's, that's not what it is, right? Can we perceive it that way? Yeah. Um, but what is it really? Um, that is a method by which God is revealing to him something that should not be happening in the temple and why Israel is about to be judged. Fair? This is a yes or no question. 
do you think that biblically we can exclude the possibility of creatures or civilizations living outside of this planet? Um, Which you've read. Yeah, um, it doesn't necessarily matter. So a lot of people go, well, there's, there might be other alien civilizations out there. Here's what I will say. Is that possible? Yes, it's possible. Do we have evidence? No, we actually don't. Does it make it impossible even though we have evidence? No. Um, but the most... And what do you think the Bible says about the possibility of that? Or I if it's silent on that issue? Yeah, I would say largely the Bible is silent on that issue. But I will say this, that the Bible says that Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, the word made flesh incarnated in a human person, right? I think that's significant. What does that mean for anything else out there? Don't know. But what we ought to pay attention to is that, um, that God himself incarnated with humanity. Uh, and I think that's significant to consider um, first and foremost. Others? Dear. I haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Yeah, because you didn't know what it was. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Yeah, I would, I would go back to my previous comment on like Jesus Christ became human uh, and I think that's really significant for us to consider. Well, that's true. In, in our realm, he became human for us, for God in our mentality. He could simultaneously be fully God and fully human. But is he simultaneously fully God and fully human? Fair enough. Yes, ma'am. This is a personal testimony. When I first was born again, I was... I did. <laughs> When I was first born again, I was terribly bound by um, believing in UFOs. Mm -hmm. I mean, I was in totally engrossed and involved in it. Then there came a day where the Lord came to me and told me that this was a strong delusion that was put upon people. And I said, really? So that was when mm -hmm. I began to research really what UFOs really were. Sure enough, it really was the Lord that came to me and told me that. Mm -hmm. And so it was, it was a long drive out of that, but the Lord delivered me. Mm -hmm. And if anybody is bound here by that and, and thinking that UFOs are real, they're not. Mm -hmm. It is strong delusion that is put upon us when we don't believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. So it he 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 is awesome in how he deals with his people, you know, a little bit at a time, 
to, to, res to restore us unto sanity, actually. <laughs> Amen. All right. Well, I'm going to pray, and thank you all for being here, um, and uh, we'll get moving with the rest of the Sunday morning. Father in heaven, thank you for providing ordinary means by which we can um, contact and commune with you. Thank you, Lord, that if anyone's suffering, we can pray. Thank you, Lord, that if anyone's cheerful, we can sing praise. Thank you, Father, that if anyone is sick, we can call for the elders of the church to pray and to anoint with oil. Thank you, Father, that the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and you, Father, will raise us up. Thank you, Father, that if anyone has committed sins, they will be forgiven. And if we confess our sins and pray for one another, we may be healed. Father in heaven, thank you for providing this ordinary means. And I pray, Father, that we as Christians would make use of those in gratitude to you, uh, the creator of all things, that we do not get involved in some things that are going to be destructive to us. Help us to minister to those who are currently under your wrath, to call them to repentance, and to minister to them uh, as they repent. I pray, Lord, that you would be with the preaching of your word this morning, uh, that your saints would commune well with one another. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.